Welcome to Shilling Speakers Podcast. We come to you monthly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership. That's here, District 91, Southern UK. Welcome to Shilling Speakers Podcast. This month, it's me, Angela Cook. I'm Paul Greenway. And it's me, Audrey Lowe. And it's me, Violetta Saladiene. We start our podcast tonight with the big idea of the week, but we have changed the name of this part to Onions and Roses. Angela, Onions and Roses, that's an idiom I've never come across. Can you explain, please? Sure, Paul. It means that the topics could be very sweet or very sour. So let's get on with it. With the world being so crazy right now, I was trying to ground myself a little bit this week, and I was remembering one of my real-life heroes, Bearheart, an Algonquin shaman living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all places, when I was there. I don't remember how we met, but he made a huge impact on my life from that day forward. With 10 years of vision quests, soul retrievals, sojourns into the sacred underworld, and yes, of course, beers in the bar, he bestowed upon me my Native American name, Strong Heart, an honor I hope to have lived up to in these past 30 years. Those memories got me thinking, who are my heroes? Gandhi, with his nonviolence message to the world and his strong heart, surely. Martin Luther King with his hope and trust in humanity, his dream and his strong heart. And closer to home, my mom, her sacrifices, perseverance, compassion, and her strong heart. But the unsung heroes, those that I saw on a daily basis dealing with the trials and tribulations of the human condition, with compassion that reached out into my own heart and changed me, those are my real heroes. A young boy, I think his name was Greg, in my junior high school class. He was a bit deformed and in a wheelchair and the subject of menacing chatter and outright bullying for many years. Greg went on to become an attorney, working with underrepresented people and communities for the betterment, actually, of all the world. And Julie, one of my young employees in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, she was on my campground staff, working on the trails, picking up trash and greeting guests. She spent her days off going to schools and hospitals as a clown, lifting hearts and spirits of others, always smiling. Six years before, she had received a devastating health diagnosis. <clears throat> she went to clown school because she wanted to uplift others especially children who were ill. Julie died on my watch. She was such an everyday hero and taught us all so much, especially when I'm frustrated and maybe a bit whiny about my own life. I think, whose heart have I lifted today? Having a strong heart is one thing, but using it to uplift others is what life is all about especially in these tentative and scary times. Whose hero am I? Yes, the great masters are my teachers, 
but the Gregs and the Julies are my heroes. Who are your heroes? Paul, are your thoughts of the week roses or onions? Hi, everyone. I'm in two minds about whether this is a rose or an onion. I'm going to share with you a personal passion of mine, which is collecting books. Now, I suspect many of you can resonate with that unmistakable joy that comes when you buy a new book. You know, the allure of the fresh pages, the potential mystique of a, of a novel, or the promise of some newfound knowledge within a self-help. Yet, like many other book enthusiasts, I've often found my eagerness to buy books surpasses my ability of actually reading them, or at least surpasses my pace of reading them. Every book that sits on my shelf stands as a silent testament to what I hope is curiosity. It's a narrative waiting to capture my imagination when I turn those pages, a lesson to be absorbed. While some people might perceive an unread book as an unread commitment, or rather an unmet commitment might be a better way to say it, I see it as a promise of some joy yet to come. You know, it's like a treasure chest of dreams just waiting to be unlocked. I do believe that our book collections, whether they are read or unread, are something of a mirror to our souls because they echo our hopes, our fascinations, and maybe even journeys that we're yet to take. Because within the confines of a book collector's shelf is that mosaic of dreams with each volume with maybe a door into a new universe. My aspiration remains to journey through every story that I've bought, but the thrill of what's next, the promise of discovery, hopefully it will always remain enticing. I think it's the American author, Lemony Snicket, who said, a good library will never be too neat or too dusty because somebody will always be in it, taking books off the shelves and staying up late reading them. I'd like to know, do you think that's an onion or is it a rose? Angela, back to you. Paul, oh, that was delightful. I too am a, am a book lover and I have many, many books with bookmarks in them. The, the rest to be finished on a lovely evening. Thank you. And Audrey, how are your thoughts for the week? Roses or onions? Yeah, my rose this week is about achievement of persuasive influence level one pathway. I joined Toastmaster in 2014, took one year break and back in 2016. With my previous Toastmaster club, I mastering table topic. It is a two-minute impromptu speaking. There is no one available to mentor me. When attendance getting worse to the point that a handful of people double the task to keep the meeting going, I start searching for a better club, and I found Chilling Speaker Toastmaster. What a shocking 180-degree differences when I come as a guest. I attend a few meetings, hesitant to join due to the meeting time, but when I heard a mentor will be available, I join. My husband happened to hear my mentor speaking during 
a club meeting asks who is that speaking. He is impressive. That's my mentor, I say. Wow, if it is if he is willing to mentor you, he will bring you far along. I'm glad that I make the right decision despite time challenges. I joined the club for less than one year and here I am speaking in a podcast. I know I don't like to hear myself, but for work, I have to record myself providing training and I don't like to see and hear myself on the recording. I never wish or dream to be in a podcast team. When Paul O'Mahony asked about podcasts, I thought it is just a one-time interview. I didn't expect my mentor asked me to be in the team. My husband is right. This is the club that will bring you far beyond achieving Toastmaster pathway. I appreciate the challenges, the innovation shown, the fun meeting, friendship with all shilling speakers from around the world. I love this club. Thank you, my mentor, Anthony. I feel like falling into a hole full of world champion speakers. And Violetta, back to you. Thank you, Angela. And I think with this, we wrap up our first part of Shilling Speakers podcast. And wait for our second part, where we have our special guest, which I interview. Dear listeners, welcome back to the second part of Shilling Speakers podcast. Today, in our podcast, we have a very special guest. Frank joined Toastmasters in the 80s in South Africa and was with them for 15 years. He also set up two clubs in North London. From his early years, as a successful drummer backing the world's top acts, rising to the top 1% of salespeople worldwide, Frank has emerged as a top global keynote speaker, sales and AI specialist, helping to produce stellar results for entrepreneurs and organizations around the globe. He currently spends 70% of his time speaking internationally, working in 69 countries. He was awarded top speaker for Vistage Europe and introduced into the Speaker's Hall of Fame. Frank was also recognized as overseas speaker of the year for Tech Australia and rated top speaker for Vistage Florida. Frank wrote books like Walking with Tigers, Success Secrets for the World's Top Business Leaders, and How to Find New Businesses and Clients, which are international bestsellers. So please meet our special guest, Frank Furness. Hey, Violet, it's so Frank. great to be on the program. Gee, this is wonderful. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. And welcome to our Shilling Speakers podcast. You know... I was amazed after reading your bio and visiting your website, how exceptional you are as a speaker and presenter. And today's interview, I would like to start with a question. Please share your story about the times back in 1997 when you were a Toastmaster. How did you join Toastmasters and why? I've always been a entertainer. When I left school, I didn't go to university. I became a drummer in a rock and roll band for 10 years. 
So I loved being on stage. After that, went into sales. And somebody said to me in sales, if you want to be really good at presenting, learn how to be professional, uh, go and join Toastmasters. And I remember I joined, I think it must be in 85 or something. And I remember going to my very first meeting and I had to stand up and just talk about myself. And I absolutely froze and I went and sat down. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. I couldn't do anything. Uh, and from that now, speaking all over the world. So to me, it just shows the the value of Toastmasters. So I got involved with Toastmasters, really, really got involved, um, ran a couple of clubs in South Africa, did the CTM, did a whole lot of books. And by the way, I say to everybody, do storytelling. Probably the most important thing ever for speaking is telling stories. And then in 1993, we moved over to London. And again, knowing nobody there, I started a financial services firm and thought the best way to meet people is to start a Toastmasters club. And from absolutely nothing started it, got a couple of friends. And uh, pretty soon we had a great Toastmasters club. Um, I then got a, a second Toastmasters club going and started entering the competitions. And that's where I, I entered the, the humorous and uh, actually ended up in Ireland in the finals, which was fantastic. Oh, that sounds wonderful and such fun. Well, moving on, I want to ask you, Frank, what was the main reason you became an international speaker? Was it a natural journey or related with a specific event in your life? I did really well in sales when I came to London. Within four years, I was amongst the top five people in every sales industry, mainly financial services uh, in London. So people wanted to ask me to, they started asking me to come and tell them how I did it. But meanwhile, again, what I started to do was go to a lot of association meetings and just speak to them about how I'd succeeded at sales. So I got in front of a lot of people And from that, someone invited me to speak at their conference. Uh, I spoke at their conference and somebody saw me and then asked me to speak at their conference and they offered to pay me. And I thought, this is nice, you know. Someone's actually giving me some, and quite a a nice sum of money. And I thought, wow, I think I'm going to change to this. This is much better. And then something happened. I spoke at another big conference in London and uh, it was for a big financial services company. <clears throat> and I said to the CEO, can I come and chat to you afterwards? And I went over there and I said, I see that you've got offices all over the world. What about sponsoring me to travel around the world, speaking at, at all of your offices? And he thought it was a great idea. And from that started the international speaking. And I now speak in 69 countries. I love it. I leave this Saturday off to Asia where I'm doing 13 different presentations over the next three weeks, it's going to be pretty grueling, but I'm really looking forward to that. One of them is in front of three and a half thousand people, the biggest uh, HR and leadership conference in Malaysia. So, uh, yeah, that's how I got started. Um, and now I just love it. It's a lifestyle business. From that, it's given me many, many things. I have three homes. I've got a home in England. I've got a home in Florida. I've got a home in Spain. I just travel between the three I drive nice cars. I like good single malt. So for me, it's a great, great lifestyle business. I've made thousands of friends. And uh, I still can't believe that just for standing up speaking, what I learned in Toastmasters, people will pay me and they'll pay for me to travel around the world to do it. Yes, that's an amazing story. It's really mesmerizing. And uh, how would you say, what is the secret of your success as a speaker? 
We were speaking about this earlier on, Violetta. I think there's two things you've got to do. The one thing is you've got to really, really be good on stage. And basically, I'm a content speaker. I speak about sales. You've also got to be up to date. So I speak about AI, chat GPT, and I'm inundated with bookings. I'm booked into, I think, October or November next year already, talking about how that affects sales. So you've got to take what's current and build that into your now, the interesting thing is being a content speaker, I love speaking about content, but I've always loved comedy as well. So people come out of there and they say that that I'm the funniest speaker they've ever seen, but I don't try to be funny. I just enjoy humor. And I think as a professional speaker, you've got to get the combination right of what I call edutainment, which is education and entertainment. Once you've got the combination of those two, uh, you really do well. And I suppose 90% of my bookings now comes from people having seen me and then rebooking me again. But the second part is when you start out as a speaker is marketing yourself because you can be the best speaker in the world. If you don't have any jobs, you're going to stop. And that's the hardest thing for most speakers when they go professional is getting the work. And I, I say to everybody, start out, get one speech that is amazing. Practice, practice, practice. Get a fantastic speech. And then go and do that speech for nothing all over, as many places as you can. There's so many people looking for speakers, places like Chambers of Commerce, Lions, Rotary. All of them are looking for speakers. And in that audience is going to be people sitting there saying, geez, I love that speech. I thought you were fantastic, Violetta. Can you come and speak to my company? Or we're running a conference. Can you come in and speak at this conference? Um, an example of this was I spoke in Malaysia in in uh, June. And, and that was a good example because there's 10 speakers there. And we one of the speakers, Scott Friedman, runs a thing called Together We Can Change the World, which is a big charity where speakers get together, contribute, and give away to a lot of charities, especially in Asia. So... We all had to pay our own way. I think we each gave a minimum of $5,000, paid our own airfares, hotels. And then we also did a couple of big conferences where all of the proceeds went to charity. But in those audiences were two or three people that saw me. One of them is now ending up in December of me doing a speaking tour of Vietnam, speaking to Vietnam Airlines. So there was a talk that I did for nothing even right now, but that has resulted in a lot of other work. So... For anyone who wants to be a speaker, two things, get good on stage and get very, very good at sales and marketing. Be on every social media channel. Uh, I speak on LinkedIn as well. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. You've got to understand the algorithms. I'm on YouTube. I've got a thousand videos on YouTube. I'm on TikTok. Uh, you name it. I'm on those social media channels. Now, those don't get me speaking gigs, but they give me exposure. And once you've got that exposure that's when the business starts to happen. I, I would say also, Violetta, the one thing you must do every time you do a talk, try to get it recorded and put that up onto YouTube, TikTok, and LinkedIn where people can actually see you in action because that's the biggest thing that bookers want to do. If somebody wants to book me in America or wherever, first thing they're going to say is we want to see you in live action. If we can't see you, we want to see a video of you. So get video of yourself speaking. Yourself going in for your contest now get videos of that. When I won my, my humorous speaking, I got videos of that, put that out everywhere. And again, that picked up some business for me. And the stories I told on there, I still actually tell some of those stories in my speeches today. 
Thank you, Frank. That was great advice. I bet listeners will use it in practice. Now, the next thing I would like to ask you today, Frank, is about your books. I will remind our listeners that you wrote two books, Walking with Tigers, Success Secrets of the World's Top Business Leaders and How to Find New Business and Clients. So how did you come up with the idea to write books? Yeah, again, I say to everybody, write a book because it gives you authority, it gives you authorship. And now it's so easy with ChatGPT because it can help you so much. What happened is I, I run a thing called Speakers Bootcamp. I've run that on five continents where I get speakers in for a weekend and teach them how to become professional speakers. These could be Toastmasters or trainers or whatever. And the one thing I teach them on the bootcamp is get a great title for your speech. And when I first started out, that was the title of my speech, Walking with Tigers, Success Secrets of the World's Top Business Leaders. And uh, since then, I've got a lot of other speeches, and it's always the title that's really, really important because you've got to see that title in a program. You've got to see it in a book. It's got to look interesting. If you just want to go and talk about secrets of leadership, that's probably the most boring title you've ever got. So you've got to get it. You've got to sexy it up. It's got to sound interesting. You've got to see it in the program. And it was quite interesting. I was doing that talk. And somebody in the audience came to me afterwards and said she'd just written a bestseller. She loved what I was doing. Would I meet with her publishers? And I'd never thought about writing a book up until then. Went in and met with her publishers. And geez, this was uh, maybe 2007 or something. And uh, they said to me, we love that title. Can you write a book for us? And we're going to give you a 20,000 pound advance, which in 97 was pretty much a lot of money. Most people don't even get advances now. And then they said, you've got four months to do it, and we'll give you somebody to help you to do it. So it actually forced me into writing that book, because what happens is most people will take years and years to write a book, and it'll never get out there. When you've got a deadline, if you've got a deadline, then you get out there and you write that book. So that was published, became a bestseller everywhere. And again, I use different strategies to get it to the top of Amazon. I'm always using sales strategies. The second book was self-published, and I think the books that I'm writing now, there's three interesting ones. One is going to be called The Book of Love, which is all about uh, just the the love that we have in life. The second one is going to be How We Apply ChatGPT AI in Sales. And the third one is going to be about romance scams. So three totally different interesting books that are going to be coming out. But they're all going to be self-published because that's where you make really good money is if your books are self-published. Nowadays, if your book is published, it looks great in a bookstore, but you're really not making much money on it. And for me now, if it's self-published, you can go to places like Lulu. Uh, it'll cost you maybe $3 for the book. You can sell it for $8. So there's $5 profit. And if you're speaking for, let's say, a 1,000 people, the conference organizer might buy a thousand books. So there's an extra $5,000 just added onto your fee straight away. Yeah, that's a great strategy. And I think, yeah, we're not always thinking about all of things because we think that, oh, it can be difficult, so and so. But as you say, if you have a deadline and give a little bit uh, deeper thought about it, uh, you can do it. Yeah. And uh, wrapping up, uh, today's interview uh, with the last question I would like to ask you what piece of advice you could give to Toastmasters who want to follow your steps okay so I'd say if you want to become a professional speaker you've got to be good at something 
So I was good at sales. That's what I speak about. If you're running a big company, you're good at leadership. If you've been an HR person, you can go and talk about HR. So the first thing is you've got to have expertise and credibility in what you speak about. And let's say, like when I started out as a sales speaker, I went onto the internet and I looked for every sales speaker that was out there. I watched every one of their videos and learned from them, learned about storytelling, learned about pauses, learned about audience uh, participation, learned everything I could on what I could see out there, and then started putting together my speech. The second thing I did is I paid for advice. And I'll say this to everybody, don't look for free advice, pay to go out there if you want to be good. I went to my first speaker conference at National Speakers Association and there was a lady, a legend lady called uh, Dottie Walters. She ran the world's biggest speaking bureau. And I did the amateurish thing. I went and I said, can I have 20 minutes of your time? Expecting it for free. And she said, you can have as much as you want. It's $250 an hour, you know. So I bought two hours of her time, $500. She ripped me apart, told me to go and put a, a course together, a CD package course. Never thought about that. Came back to England, put together a three CD course. Uh, and three months later, my first sale was for £65,000 on that course. So that investment of $500 made me £65,000. Since then, I've always gone to the best speaker coaches, storytelling coaches. Uh, I've bought every course there is on speaking, storytelling, pauses. And I also mix with some of the world's greatest speakers. In fact, I'm putting an online course together at the moment for people who want to become speakers. And um I've interviewed 20 or 30 of the world's best speakers that are great friends of mine, and they're all going to be involved in it. So I'll keep you updated as to when that course is going to be coming out. So that's what I'd say to everybody. Get good at sales and marketing. Get a good speech. Go and take a look at everybody and speak about what your expertise is. Also, speak about what people will pay for. You can have some passion that's really great, but if nobody's going to pay you for that, it's it's pretty useless. You've got to think about someone that's going to book you. All they're thinking about is how is this going to make my team better at customer services, at making more sales, at being better prospectors, and your speech has got to tie in. All they're thinking about is I'm going to pay you a lot of money. What's in it for me? And you've got to get that into your mindset. For everybody listening, Toastmasters is probably the most incredible place in the world. I met Zig Ziglar. I've met a lot of other famous people through it. Go as far as you can, learn everything you can because it teaches you the basics and it teaches you, I think, discipline. Just a last little thing, Violetta, I'm speaking at a very big conference, three and a half thousand people. My speech is 10 minutes. You know how difficult it is. We know in Toastmasters, you learn to speak seven minutes. So that discipline from all of those years ago are coming back, which makes it easy. It's, uh, and I'd say to everybody as well, if in doubt, cut it out. If it's not going to be any good, just cut it out. Just give them your best, best, best. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for uh, for all your tips, for advices and sharing your thoughts today. And thank you, Frank, for coming to our podcast and being our guest. Oh, thank you so much. And I'd say to everybody, Violetta, please follow me on LinkedIn because I'm always putting out great free advice there on everything to do with speaking and marketing. Dear listeners, with this, we end our second part of Shilling Speakers podcast. Dear listeners, 
Welcome back to the Shilling Speakers podcast, part three. And today in our soapbox, we have Audrey Law. Soapbox is yours, Audrey. Thank you, Violeta. So I am from Indonesia. One day I speak with my brother who still lives there while I'm here in the United States. He is an architect. I tell him about ex- how expensive it is to build a house in in United States. So then uh, he's giving an idea, why don't you build a house using a bamboo material? I thought that is a derogatory remark because I'm thinking in terms of rundown of bamboo house. But when he sent me a picture, it's very impressive three-level uh, story bamboo house it's very beautiful that I never seen the um the look of the house uh, in United States. So that made me curious. How do you make a round bamboo into a flat woof woven wall? And what is the foundation of the house? So how they make the bamboo from round into flat is by cut vertical line using a tool called Massity. And then you dr- sun dry. Oh, then you will wave that uh, bamboo strip into various items. It can be a basket, a chair, or a wall panel. This sheet of bamboo wall, then nail to a thicker bamboo pole, either using nail or you can also using a lashing cord. The lashing cord is a uh, it's a uh, it's a fiber coming from the bamboo root, and then the bamboo pole then placed into a concrete foundation. The bamboo house is using the same roof made from clay. As I learned about building a house with a bamboo material, I found bamboo house is considered a sustainable architect because it can resist the damage from lateral dynamic force compared to concrete material. It is sustainable architect because it uses renewable material from and grown locally. There are about 1,250 species of bamboo plant and 11% of them found in Indonesia. That's why it is good for, for people in Indonesia that they can have that grown locally. And according to Guinness, world record, some species of bamboo can grow up to 2.91 feet per day or 1.5 inches per hour. It also has a cooling effect because air can pass through the wall more so so than brick or concrete wall. And then Indonesia sits on the ring of fire where there's a lot of volcano. Uh, Often we have an earthquake. So the bamboo material can resist damage from the lateral dynamic forces compared to the concrete material. And there is some article where someone doing a research where they put a shock table under uh, different, one is bamboo material construction, the other one is from the concrete. So the bamboo material has, uh, due to its stencil strength, fibrous morphology, lightweight, um, it is able to swing like the sunflower 
uh, when there is uh, when the shock table moving left and right uh, as if there is an earthquake happening. And so this is similar to like a sunflower. Uh, the bamboo joint system, such as nail rope, can absorb the shock of the earthquake and distribute the force so then the different part of the structure move together. If you, when, when this compare with the concrete construction, the concrete block the, was uh, cracked. So that's why bamboo material is quite suitable and because it is sustainable architect, it gained interest in Indonesia. So that's my idea. That's fabulous. What a great idea about bamboo houses. Thank you, Audrey, for sharing this. With that, we conclude another insightful episode of the Shilling Speakers podcast. I'm Angela, and together with the team, we invite you to reflect on today's topics and join us again for more enlightening discussions. Stay curious, and please subscribe and share with your friends. Thank you.